Welcome to Common Sense Coalition Talk Radio, where you'll find straight talk from people with good old common sense. I trust your opinion. And now, for your host, he's putting sense back into nonsense. Absolute insanity. Well, you can hear me on the Your host, Beth Ann. And I welcome you today to CSC Talk Radio. It is my honor, my privilege, and my pleasure to be here, to be anywhere <laughs> these days. With the weather and the COVID, we're just, uh, we're a mess. But there's three of us at it, and we're all at it together, so we're doing all right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. For such a time as this, most gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for the great I am that you are. Father, we just... Thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy and your way to salvation. Your sacrifice that you did just so you could spend eternity with us or us with you. Father, we do ask for your healing presence upon us and those who are suffering in other ways as well. And Father, we ask for your wisdom that we might have a greater understanding of things in this world. Make us a people of action. Equip us, Abba Father, with your courage. For such a time as this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The wisdom of our founding fathers so exceeds today's bumbling politicians. They had great concerns regarding our nation's future. Thomas Jefferson said, If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and the corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. I believe that Banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. The issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs. Again, that was Thomas Jefferson. George Washington said once, Government is not reason, it is not eloquent. It is force, like fire, a troublesome servant and a fearful master. Never a moment should it be left to irresponsible action. And again, Thomas Jefferson said, When once a republic is corrupted, there is no possibility of remedying any of the growing evils, but by removing the corruption and restoring the lost principles. you got to get that. Restoring the lost principles. Every other correction is either useless or it's a new evil. And then he also said, and you've heard me use both of those quotes with this one. The executive power in our government is not the only, perhaps not even the principal object of our solicitude. The tyranny of the legislator is really the danger most to be feared and will continue to be so for many years to come. The tyranny of the executive power will come in its turn, but at a more distant period. Thomas Jefferson. I personally refuse to give up or to let go of what was once our free republic. 
I reject the political ploys to save the democracy. And I say, curse the democracy. (laughs) We cannot save the republic without knowing when the freedom switch went out and the democracy way took hold. History. It's important. Today is the second in a series of study of the great congressional deception of the American people from 1777 through the present. And it was written by Anthony and Tiso and put together. He does have, he's making it available. He's not, he didn't have a big bunch of these printed. He just printed enough that if you wanted them, you could have them. And the number to call, it's Zephyr Books and Coffee. It's in the state of California, and I was kind of hoping you would get one so you could follow along when we're studying this. 530 is the phone number, 598-2584, And we welcome Anthony and Tiso. Tony, how are you doing? We're not doing so well here, but we're we're alive. We're good. Well, that's what I understand. I I pray for you guys. I hope you're okay. Um, well, we are. Yeah. We are. My husband's yeah. getting better faster than Rudy and I, but uh, um, oh, boy. he's doing good. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. we're not we're not gasping for breath or anything like that, but <laughs> we we are miserable. But Anthony, okay. I want to talk about the, the we we kind of. I'm going to let you have the first because you talked about maybe we get, give it a little synopsis, kind of an overall of what we did on last week. And uh, I want to then I want to get into the five great crises and just quickly go over them one at a time. And then in the next few weeks, we'll cover each one in depth. So take the take the rim here. Okay, Um, I should say I I just wanted to I don't know. uh, My phone went dead for a while while you were talking, so I couldn't hear what you said. But anyway, um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, uh I want the, your listeners to understand that the information in the book proves that we are under a corporate, federal corporate government, not a constitutional government. It's the, it's the, the proof is in the book. It's, it tells you, uh, which acts they passed and how they did it. So if, if, you, when you talk to people, you will have the evidence to show that what you're telling them is true and it's not a fiction. So that's all I, and, I wanted to say. And uh, it does matter. Nature. It does. I mean, I, I, it does matter <laughs> what they have done. Well, it does. It, what it does also is it shows you that how they did it so you understand. You can't defeat the enemy unless you know who he is and what he is and how he's doing things and this explains how they did it so it gives you an understanding and at the end uh in the book there is a solution to take back our constitutional republic form of government there is a way to do that so uh it's going to take a lot of work but that's why i wrote it it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of people working together that's my yeah, understanding. You can't change. We, we are going to, Trump couldn't change Washington, D.C., so how can we? What we have to do is it, the solution is to start at our local level. And, but we'll get into that later. All right. Well, I want to go over these five crises because I had okay. some questions on them. 
and uh, okay. and then in the future we will go on in depth with them. Uh, we may not need to on the first one. I think we kind of understand that. But the very first crises of America was the American Revolution. And I kind of wondered why you put that down as a crisis, because that's what actually made us. So I wanted you to kind of elaborate on that. Well, the crisis, the crisis that was created, of course, was the taxation and, and, uh, issue on, and, and the overbearing control of everything that they were going to do. So it was, a, it was a crisis. And born out of that crisis was our, our, our government and our, and our nation. So that's why I call it a crisis. There was, uh, the, not the revolution itself. That, yeah, if you read that in the book, it sounds like the revolution was the crisis, but that was the result of the crisis with the relationship with King George. So All right. Why, that okay? that makes sense to me. Yeah. And then okay. and then you had with that, it was when Thomas Jefferson was president and the revolution of 1800, and I wanted you to elaborate on that one too for me. Okay. We had we had George Washington first, and then we had Thomas Jefferson. And so, why was it? Uh, uh, the Revolution of eighteen hundred was because there were still members of the Continental Congress that did not want to sever ties with Britain. There was a, a lot of, yeah. not a lot, but there were a few that wanted to stay hooked up. So there was kind of a political revolution in in. Uh, in in the 18, the beginning of the 1800s, the turn of the century, there to, to definitely sever away from it. Jefferson uh, had a hard time. He and, and Hamilton were at odds because Hamilton right. wanted a central, a central bank. Thanks. So that was kind of what, right. what I'm referring to. Okay, well, we're headed into a break, so you're listening to CSC Talk Radio. We're not going to take any calls until we get to the last of these series. And Tony will be with us every Thursday throughout February, and we're going to study this. So get your book. I haven't got time to give you the phone number again, but I'll do that when we come back from this break. You can look for the silver lining, or you can strengthen your portfolio with gold and silver. Optimism is planning for your own financial future. Melody Cedarstrom of Discount Gold and Silver Trading has been watching our economy and the banksters for well over 20 years. The U.S. has an unsustainable debt. While the timing of a collapse cannot be predicted, we know the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back weighs heavier and heavier with each new stimulus and omnibus bill. Because of our debt and the lack of solid backing, those fiat dollars in your pocket continue to deflate in value. However, gold stays true, true wealth. Give Melody Cedarstrom a call at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Discount gold and silver trading for all your precious metal needs. And join Melody weekday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Financial Survival Radio. Visit DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com. 
Made in America is more than just a slogan. It's a brand we all look for to better this nation's economy. Liberty Tabletop is the brand of Cheryl Manufacturing, the only manufacturer of flatware in the United States of America. Liberty Tabletop creates high-quality flatware at a competitive price using the finest quality 1810 chromium nickel stainless steel. Oh, and by the way, the steel they use is also made in the USA. The steel is tested for lead and other toxic trace elements, so you bring to your family a safe and pure product that will last for generations. Setting your table is an important part of every meal. The patterns you choose say something about you and your family. Bringing America home with LibertyTabletop.com or go to my website, CSETalkRadio.com and click on their link. Call Liberty Tabletop at 844-386-2338. Use the promo code Bethann and receive 10% off your purchase. LibertyTabletop.com. Daniel Turner, founder and executive director of Power the Future, agrees that America is blessed with an abundance of reliable energy sources. Our natural resources are the lifeblood of our nation and have made our nation prosperous. Rule America is the heart of production in this nation. Our food, manufacturing, trucking, and yes, our energy. Power the Future promotes jobs in Rule America, specifically our energy jobs. These jobs are all under attack. Wealthy radical like Tom Stiers and George Soros promise to break the nation's energy independence. Their beloved Green New Deal attacks all that is good in this nation. Our food, our land, our jobs, our families, and of course, our gassy cows. Power the Future is fighting for you, rule America. Join them. Visit PowerTheFuture.com. See the latest news and donate to those who are fighting for you. PowerTheFuture.com. Power the Future is fighting to keep America has the lights on. And we have returned for listening to CSC Talk Radio. This is Beth Ann with Anthony and Tiso. We're discussing his book. It's just a booklet. It's only 30-some pages. Um, the Great Congressional Deception of the American People. From 1777 through the present. And I have a timeline that I found years ago, Tony, that had to do, we need to add all these to it. Um, but it was through the revolution. It was a timeline. And in, in 1782, there was an evacuation of the loyalists and it began then and largely unwelcome to the United States and about a hundred thousand Americans who remained loyal to the crown. They found their way Back to Britain. <laughs> and I thought right. that was pretty was, good. Yeah, that's true. There was, in fact, um, uh, what was the, uh, the percentage, I think, was that only 3% of the uh, people was started the revolution and finished it or something? <laughs> it was, it was one of the large be. number of people. <laughs> no. I had um, heard before that it was only like 2 to 3% that actually were yeah, willing to fight uh, for the freedoms uh, okay. and liberty. So, so, okay, after after that first crisis, we have the second one over the slavery that you just commented on. And it, it started out as a dispute over slavery, but it also, the the one world the, the government in those days was the, the English crown and the uh, the banks in Austria. And 
And they were the, the financers of, of the world in those days, and they still are today. But anyway, the states, the states, I'm sorry, the South wanted to keep this, their states' rights. They were willing to make changes in the slavery, but they wanted states' rights to, to remain paramount, as the Constitution says. But the real battle, because of the Civil War, was the, was over the states' rights issue, and slavery was the excuse. So mm-hmm. um, it, that's – and Lincoln, he was kind of torn between uh, that issue, those two issues. They, they had to have something that people could emotionally get their hands on. Today, they do the same thing, don't they? They get us all worked oh, yeah. up over something. Oh, yeah. 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 So it was the same back then. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I so mean, anyway, I'm agreeing with you. Um, what ha- What's important about um, Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War ties in with the third crisis, and that's the assassination of Lincoln. Now, he wasn't assassinated um because of slavery. He was assassinated because he was getting ready to establish a true monetary system, as the Constitution says. Not establish it, but reintroduce it again and get it going and get away from uh, printed currency. And the... uh, during that, after his assassination, that District of Columbia Act was passed. But the most important thing about Lincoln's assassination was before he was assassinated, he instituted, during the start of the Civil War, he instituted a presidential uh, uh, directive again, like these executive orders, and it was number yeah. 100. And, uh, and what it said was that, Anyone who was opposed to the Civil War would be considered an enemy of the state. That's the exact language in that executive order. And that you either conscripted to be in the Union Army or somehow support the movement. And he declared martial law, which suspended the Constitution. Now, we are mm. still under that martial law today from that time in, in, in the seven, late 1700s. We are still under it. And the proof of that is, and you get your pencils out, people, Senate Report 93-549. This report was issued by a committee formed in the Senate of the United States, November 19, 1973, comprised mostly of Democrats, but they, well, who was on the committee was uh, William Miller, uh, Thomas Dine, Philip Hart from Michigan, Carborn Pell from Rhode Island, Adlai Stevenson from Illinois, Clifford Case, New Jersey, James Pearson from Kansas, and Clifford Hansen from Wyoming. And what this commission found was 
And I'll give you just the first sentence in the foreword of this of their findings. It says, since March 9th of 1933, the United States has been and declared under a declared national emergency and has been in effect prior to that. That's the first sentence. So we, this is, yeah, and they, they, what they did the study for was to see if they still were, and they found out that they are, and they are today, and that's how Congress violates the Constitution because they are operating under declared national emergency. What a lot of people don't know is as soon as the president-elect finishes his inaugural address and goes off the platform and steps into the building, the very first thing he is handed by somebody in the military a document to sign, and it is the reaffirmation of the martial law. What if the president refused to sign that? Then it wouldn't it would be in wouldn't be in effect anymore. So, one president could stop that in particular. And I don't and Trump, and I don't know why I don't think Trump knew what he signed. I just think he you know they he had just got off the stage and he. Had, you know, I'm sure he was inundated with people and questions and whatever. And someone hands him and says, "Here, Mr. President, you have to sign this." <laughs> so, yeah, um, and we, yeah, he needs to be informed. If he didn't know, he needs to be informed. Yes, he does. And I wonder, you know, how many he's got around him that really understand this. Do you think our our Congress understands this? Do you think every one of the senators and representatives yes. really understand what happened? Yes, took they place? do. Yes, they do. Yeah, they understand it. Well, okay, except for maybe the uh, what's that caucus? Uh, there's 22 uh, members. Um, they're true constitutionalists. There's 22 members, I, I think, of congressmen and senators. And a caucus. I can't remember the name of the caucus. Um, oh, gone. They know. It's not the Freedom Caucus, is it? Well, could be. I, I just don't remember. I don't want to say because I, I don't. I don't remember. But they know, and okay. the others know that. They all understand that they went to law school. Uh, another thing people mm-hmm. should understand is, Congress passes laws based upon Bouvier's Law Dictionary. Not on Black's Law Dictionary. Bouvier's Law Dictionary is the basis from which they do their legal uh, findings. So anyway, that ties in with the third crisis and the assassination of Lincoln. That, and that's the report that I, the title I just read you proves they know about it and they operate knowingly that they can't because they're under a federal corporation. Um, the fourth crisis you, uh, that I talk about is the Monetary Reform Act of 1915. Yes. <clears throat> Pardon me. That created okay. a private national bank, which is today is the Federal Reserve Bank. And in the All beginning, right. in, yes, in the beginning, you, you, if you, I have collected a few, uh, 
<clears throat> pieces of currency that say still redeemable in silver or gold. <laughs> I often wonder what would happen if I walked into a bank and asked them to give it to me. <laughs> but that uh, was the kind You of- ought to try it unless they're going to arrest you and all you off. <laughs> but you ought to try it. You know, um, I don't have any of those. I do have one well, of the original, um, uh, well, not original, but it's original for me. Uh, the second one I had after I changed my name and got married. But the Social Security card, you know, it says on there, right. you cannot use this for identification. And right. they do it all the time. And I show it to them once in a while. I say, I'm going to show this to you. Because it was some young girl. She was high school or college at J.C. Penney's. This was years ago. I was shopping for Christmas. And um, I said, I'm going to show it to you, but I'm going to let you know that it's against the law for you to ask me for this. And I whipped it out, and I showed her. I said, what does this say right here? And she was baffled. Because the, the new ones yeah. don't say that. They took it away. They broke that promise. Let's see. Who was that? Was <laughs> that Woodrow Wilson? I'm not sure who that was. Roosevelt. That's yeah. right. All right. I hear the music. Yeah. We're headed into another break. You're listening to CSC Talk Radio. This is Beth Ann with Anthony and Tiso. We're going to talk just a little bit more about the crises. We're on number four, and we'll hit number five here shortly. You're listening to CSC Talk Radio. This is Beth Ann and Anthony and Tiso, and we'll be right back. And we have returned to listening to CSC Talk Radio. This is Beth Ann. You know, you know, Tony, and I'm not disputing you at all. I'm just saying this stuff is so hard to believe. And we've been hearing it for years, and you've got the thing laid out. But to think that we've been under martial law since uh, Lincoln's assassination is just, it's its a lot to digest. And uh, well, it's hard so I want to continue that, here. Yeah, it's hard to believe that. We have elected people to office that don't do something about it, that they're supposed to adhere to the Constitution. And um, that there's so much going around in my head. I'm sorry. Okay, that brings up to my okay. mind the point, the point that uh, of this uh, under – it's kind of like a subheading of these crises – we have not, and I believe I said it in the last show, we have not elected anyone to a constitutional seat since 1913. When they passed the, wow. and we're going to get into the District of Columbia Act of 1871, when they passed that act, every subsequent election from that point on, we elected people to the corporate, federal corporate government no one today is sitting in a constitutional seat congress whether it's a congressman or a senator or the president we have not elected anyone to that constitutional seat because they changed the oath of office when they passed the District of Columbia Act of well, That's another issue. Let's finish the crisis. I'm sorry. I, I get off. All right. Let's, no, let's keep going. Okay. Yeah, I understand. Okay, we, but, we talked a little bit about that, but we'll get into the nitty-gritty here in, um, in the next few weeks, too. I just kind of want to okay. cover these crises. So the passage okay. of the Monetary Reform Act, that was the number four. That's the fourth uh, crisis. Okay. That uh, that ties in with one of your uh, your sponsors that, 
that did away with um, Congress having to uh, issue the money. It gave the Congress under martial law again, everything from just remember people, everything since Lincoln's assassination is being done under martial law because Congress doesn't have to follow the Constitution. That's why we're in the mess we're in today. What they did was they passed the Monetary Reform Act and gave the authority to print money, print currency, for the people to use in exchange, which we have today. Because I know it would be inconvenient to carry around a bunch of silver and gold coins, but uh, you can have a printed currency that is redeemable in that tangible asset. But they don't do that because then they cannot create inflation and they cannot create depressions or recessions and get rich off of boom and bust cycles. But that's what they did. on That's what the fourth crisis created was a financial mess. Um, All right. And now we're in, now okay. we're in the fifth one. Which uh, it says, which continues yet today. You said the challenge yes, of progressivism. The, Go ahead. Yes, um, Teddy Roosevelt was the start of it. He he did some good things, but he uh, was a, a belief in a central government, and he wanted the yeah. presidency to be like an autocracy. Uh, I don't know if I said that right. But then Woodrow Wilson carried forward with it, and Theodore Roosevelt, and from that time forward, we are under an administrative law uh, system where bureaucrats can make a rule, apply a penalty, and enforce enforce that, and they're not supposed to do that. That's supposed to be the purview of Congress. And and Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt was the first one that laid land aside to be preserved, protected by the federal government. So you couldn't use it as a private um, ownership. And uh, he started that. And now, poor Utah, that's about all they've got. (laughs) They don't have a whole lot of private land. The the progressives today believe believe in in a human nature that evolved and changed, which in turn justifies their efforts to break down separation of powers. We've got to have the separation of powers. Those are the first three articles of the Constitution. If they break those down, then the size and scope of government gets beyond the founders' intent. So that's the fifth crisis is what's going on today. And we have to understand that and it's, it's hard to grasp. I, 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 I didn't want to believe this. I didn't want to think that we have people in government who, who are doing that to us. But that's what's happening, folks. Um, it, uh, it, it's interesting that um, to understand that previous crisis, you have to be able to respond to the current crisis. You have to understand what's going on today and who is behind that in America today. And that's where our lobbyist system comes in. The lobbyists are all one-world government people, all for the good of the, yes. the na- national corporations, yes. 
uh, corporations are bad in itself, but how they're structured is what makes a difference. Um, yeah, I was going to so, say. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was actually coughing. Um, <laughs> am so, I making any sense? But, you know, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's just, it's, it's kind of scary. And, uh, and it's like you said, we don't want to believe it. But you had mentioned in here too that we need to think about where these folks were coming from when they did X, Y, and Z and why they did it. I can understand when we were broke coming out of the Civil War. But it was more than just that, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was uh, the the bankers had a hold of of this financially. Or, yeah, you, you just hit upon it. The problem was we were a, a young nation. We had come out of the Civil War. We were broke. Congress authorized uh, two hundred and fifty million dollars in bonds to be issued at a payable at five percent an unheard rate of interest in those days, and nobody bought those bonds. No one would touch Mm. them. The reason is that you can't touch or confiscate the assets of a nation, a sovereign nation. You can't touch their assets. But a corporation is a legal entity that can sue and be sued and confiscated. So what Congress did under martial law was pass the District of Columbia Act of 1871, mentioned in the Third Crisis. That act bifurcated, that split the political system in two. It, It left the constitutional side sitting there and created a corporation, a federal corporation, And the proof of that is that the District of Columbia Act of 1871 created it. And the proof that that is what it did is that you've got to go back to the uh, founding fathers when they were changed the name of the seat of government. I hope this doesn't get confusing here. Back to 1801 approximately. Okay. 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 In the in the Constitution, the seat of government was known was, was uh, written as the ten mile square in the in the first document. So when they decided to establish the seat of government, they incorporated the ten mile square and gave it the name the District of Columbia. And um, I somewhere in my book I cited the Supreme Court ruling that said. That was a municipal corporation that could sue and be yes. sued. Um, oh, here it is. Uh, Justice Marshall wrote the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, December 177 to 181. You can find that in their, that decision. Okay, so if the District of Columbia uh, well, was in Hang on, because we're going into a break. Hang on, Tony. We're going into a break, and when we come back, we'll be in our final segment, the fastest hour of the day. You're listening to CSE Talk Radio with Beth Ann and Anthony and Tiso. We're studying the great congressional deception of the American people from 1777, yeah, all that way back to now, and we'll be right back. 
Have you heard about vine-to-bar chocolate? It's the winemaker's chocolate, the world's first chocolate made with well-vined Chardonnay Mark from the beautiful coastal vineyards of North America. Gently pressed grapes are harvested after juicing, dried, and finely milled and carefully blended into the finest dark chocolate. The Chardonnay Mark contains highly beneficial grape nutrients, flavanols, and has a natural sweetness that flavors the luscious dark chocolate. Mouth-watering, flavorful, delectable dark chocolate goodness with Chardonnay sweetness and beneficial nutrients. And it's alcohol-free, too. It's vine-to-bar chocolate. Order some today at vinetobar.com. That's V-I-N-E. T-O-B-A-R dot com. Cold ship to your door. It's Vine to Bar. Vine to Bar chocolate. Visit us at VineTobar dot com. Have you ever checked to see how many minerals are in the nutritional products that you take? Not many if they come from fruits and vegetables that do not average more than 12 minerals due to mineral depletion in topsoil. Minerals are the key to good health and longevity, and you need lots of them. A product called Immuno 150 is only $49.95 for a month's supply, and it has 70 plant minerals and 80 other nutrients. There is nothing like it on the market. Now, more than ever, you need to supercharge your immune system, and to do that, you need at least 60 minerals every day. Immuno 150 has more than 70 minerals. Visit Immuno150.com. That is immuno150.com or call 888-316-2224. That's 888-316-2224. Friends, I want to talk to you very frankly about the increasing civil unrest we're seeing these days. You can't turn on the news without hearing about more riots, violence, looting, killing, lawlessness, and mayhem. Sadly, I think the worst is yet to come, and the crescendo will be quite painful. However, I want to focus your attention on what you can do to survive. Priority one in times like these is to make sure you have enough food to eat. If you know me, you know I fully endorse My Patriot Supply. They're the only source I personally use and trust to get through the tough times ahead. Right now, you can save $100 off a four-week emergency food supply kit of delicious, nutritious meals the whole family will love. Go to preparewithbethann.com to get your food kits today. The future is so uncertain. I urge you to go to preparewithbethann.com and get ready now. That's preparewithbethann.com. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. For the longest time, I've wanted to come out with the world's most comfortable bed sheets. But up until now, I haven't been able to find anything that held up to my high standards. I finally found the best cotton in the world in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all come together to create the ideal weather conditions for growing cotton. My new Giza Dream bed sheets are made with this long staple cotton, and I guarantee they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. The first night you sleep on my sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. 
The Giza Dream Sheets are available in a variety of colors. And like all of Mike's products, they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Right now, you can get your very own by calling one 800 978 6168 and use the promo code Bethann to get 30% off plus free shipping. This is Beth Ann. I apologize for my voice and my little coughing, but we're uh, getting through this as best we can. And uh, I'm excited to have Anthony on and talk about this um, congressional deception of the American people. You know, Anthony, when mm-hmm. we were going into that break, you were just getting ready to explain some more things. And it, I, the thought came to my mind. So I'm gonna I'm gonna detour you again. And next week when we start, we'll start with chapter one. And we'll just I know some of it'll be repetitious that we've already gone over, but I think it's important to to do it over and over again so we can get it right. But my question is, because I think weird. Um, uh-huh. So all the amendments, all the changes that they have made to the Constitution, and I'm putting air quotes. That's not to our Constitution, not to our organic one, is it? No, it's to the federal Constitution. All right. Okay. See, the fight between having one central government and a federal system with states' rights was being still fought politically uh even up, Madison had a comment back in 1832, um, and let me got I got to put my reading glasses on here. <laughs> <laughs> I wear Madison mine all the time said, anymore. Just don't even bother. Yeah, to take them Ma- off. Madison said, "I have never been able to see." <clears throat> he was commenting about the federal court system. I have, Madison said, "I have never been able to see how the Constitution itself." could have been the supreme law of the land or that the uniformity of federal authority throughout the parts to it could be preserved or that without that uniformity, anarchy and disunion would be prevented. What he was saying was he wasn't, he was really torn between, well, Congress Passed the judiciary. Write this, write this note down so we can refer to it when we talk again. The Judiciary Act of 1789. That's another piece of legislation that that went away from the Constitution. So anyway, uh, 1789. Yes, the just Judiciary okay. Act of 1789. What it. it did, what it did, was create the federal court system. Now, the Constitution, Article 6, says something other than what's in that act. It, it, this act is what I believe has caused us the problem. It gave the, uh, it created, and I don't know, that you could make arguments both ways for this, but it created the current system of the, the, the federal court system, the appellate courts, and then your superior courts, and then your justice courts. And that the you the the um, federal courts had the right to overturn the state court state courts 
decisions if someone appealed it. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a good system or not. I, I, I'm still torn <laughs> either way. But that that's that lends itself when you centralize that judicial system like that with one authority, the Supreme, the U.S. Supreme Court we have today is supposed to be the, the final word. How can that be? I mean, how can nine people say what 300 million are supposed to do? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, my understanding um, is that the only thing the Supreme Court is supposed to do when a, when a, uh, case comes before them is to decide whether it is constitutional or not. But now, if they're not following the organic constitution and they're just following a corporate entity, um, we don't have, like you said, separation of powers. They are not protecting the people, and they're not protecting liberty for the people. And uh, that is concerning. We've seen it lately. Um, in my lifetime, we've seen it. I, it's not been that long ago that the Supreme Court, and Roberts was in on it, ruled that a corporation is a person. Yes. And, uh, yes. and of course, he ruled that Obamacare was uh, okay if it was a tax. But if it was yes. a tax, it came out of the wrong entity. It didn't come out of, you know, where it was supposed to have been created in Congress. And um, so, it, it, You're right. you know... But I'm looking at the organic of what I know, and they're looking at something else. That's correct. That's correct. See, we, we have, and some of the founders, uh, what I just read to you from Madison, had a hard time figuring out how the organic constitution could be used to govern, and it can. It, it doesn't. Um, it. it you, I don't think we should. They should have went away from it, but they did. <laughs> so. And that's that's part of the, the problem. And when I was studying at Hillsdale University, out of the six professors in the in the constitutional studies course, um, all of them gave different lectures on different subjects, but they all referred to the separation of powers, Articles One, Two, and Three of the constitu- the real Constitution. And they, and I got that's what got me to writing this thinking and writing about this book. Why did six different professors mention the separation of powers of states with different lectures on different subjects? Hmm. And like, and even in the free market economics course, they brought it up. <laughs> so uh, there's some. That's so what are I'm, the professors not aware? Are the professors not aware? Of oh, they are. Place? Oh, they are. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. They they know. They know what's going on. Um, a quick, I don't want to take a lot of time, but uh, when I used to sit on the board of directors of a, a financial institution, uh, we did strategic planning, and the guy that gave us our strategic planning uh, every year was a highly um, educated with multiple doctorates in finance. He was even a former member of the Reserve Bank, well, Federal Reserve Bank. And one day on a break, I said to him, I was telling him about writing this book, and he said, Tony, I know all about that stuff. So here was a, that scared me. <laughs> here was a well-educated, highly educated man who was in the financial system, and he knew all about what I had written. <laughs> wow. So, 
that just shook me. I thought, because I didn't want to believe what I wrote was true. My own self, I doubted it. Yeah, yeah well, you know, when you go through those and you start finding the proof, it's, it's, it is scary. And you wonder, how come, if so many people knew about it, why didn't somebody do something about it? And it's gone I, on for I, so long. Yeah. We're yeah, just about I, out of time, Tony. I want to give the Zephyr Books and Coffee uh, phone number yes. once more. 530-598-2584. That's 530-598-2584. And it's called The Great Congressional Deception of the American People from 1777 through the Present. Uh, just ask for that, and I believe you told me it was nineteen ninety nine. Is it twenty dollars? Is that what it is? Yes, yes. Uh, okay. They right after our first show, uh, I went down and I walked the three blocks down there, and they uh, they had already had three phone calls for orders. <laughs> good, good. So, well, I, I want my listeners so, to get it, uh, study it. It's he, Tony uh, said from the get go. Don't believe what he says. Do the research. He's got the research here, and you can go back and you can look up these acts. We're going to do that. We're going to look up that Senate report and, and 93 got, and got, 549. Go ahead. we got just a few seconds. Uh, just a second. Uh, nope. nope. We're out. <laughs> we're out of time. Thank you, Tony. We'll get that the next time. I believe there will come a time when we are all judged on whether or not we took a stand in defense of all life from the moment of conception until our last natural breath. As a teenager, I gave my first public speech in my church. My hand shook, my heart pounded. I thought to myself, I can't do this, but somehow I did. And because I wanted to talk about things that were important, I persisted. I chided my church as a senior in high school for not seeming to care about the not yet born, for looking the other way and for not taking a stand on life. I will be in earnest. I will not equivocate and I will not excuse. I will not retreat an inch and I will be heard. One thing I promise you, I will always take a stand for life. Abby Johnson was once director of a Planned Parenthood clinic in Bryan, Texas. After a moral crisis, she quit, and now she campaigns against what she once endorsed. They implement abortion quotas in all of their clinics. What do you mean, quotas? You have to perform a certain number of abortions every month. Um, one of the reasons that I left... Are they explicit about that? Yes. It's, it's in your budget, right there on the line item. Uh, one of the reasons I left Planned Parenthood was because uh, in a budget meeting, I was told to double that abortion quota. And for me, as someone who had spoken to the media and had said, you know, we're about reducing the number of abortions, we're about, you right. know, prevention, all of these other services, I was shocked. So to since hear you actually worked at a Planned Parenthood, give us some sense of the relative number of abortions. Okay, abortions, Planned Parenthood provides over 330,000 abortions a year. They are the largest single abortion provider in our country.